With the global pandemic of COVID-19 still in full swing, youth sports is still reeling, but it's time to start planning for the future. And this week we're talking hotel partnerships with our guest, Jonathan Miller. This is the Tournament Talk Podcast, where your hosts, Tyler Childs and Sean Sinclair, are on a mission to help you make sense of the tournament world, save you time and money by helping you make all the right decisions to streamline and maximize your tournament business, team, club, or lifestyle. Let's get down and start winning at everything. Welcome to Tournament Talk. We've got another great episode here today, joined always by Sean Sinclair. Don't forget to follow him on the internet at sport Sean. And our third member of the team today is a returning guest, Jonathan Miller, uh, Director of Global Sports Tourism with Radisson Hotels Group. Welcome back to the show, Jonathan. I, uh, we were commenting before we jumped on here that everybody's got the uh, corn beard going. And, I, I, you know, patent pending, trademark not approved yet. So <laughs> um, don't, don't hang on to that one. But wanted to thank you, Jonathan, for jumping back on, as always. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, why, don't we, why don't you say hi, Jonathan? Maybe let everyone know um, just a reminder of, of who you are and uh, how you fit into our world. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks, Tyler and Sean, to both of you for the, the opportunity to speak with you guys and to your audience. Um, my role at Radisson Hotel Group is um, I am the, um, uh, the global sales manager for sports. I oversee our um, our corporate sales effort in the sports market. So I work with two different, very, two very distinct groups. Number one is with companies like Sport Travel and your uh, and, and customers that are booking events uh, with with you guys or that are having you guys handle housing and things like that. And then the other side of what I do is work hand in hand with our hotels to make sure that they are providing the the services that uh, that are needed by sports teams that are traveling. Absolutely. And, and just for those of you that did listen to Jonathan's last appearance on the show, he also comes with a bit of a background from our side of the business. And so he's very familiar with the ins and outs of, of our day-to-day life as well. So um, thank you for joining us again. I think, you know, the hot button topic today is really around COVID-19 and how it's impacting the business as a whole. And I think a lot of people are still a little early on in their understanding of the economics of this virus. I think everyone is, is slowly moving through their own experience of how it's impacting the healthcare system and their community itself. But at some point the attention will turn to how do we get back to normal? And so in order to understand how to get back to normal, I I wanted to, to start with Jonathan, just maybe giving you the floor to kind of indicate how far this has driven the the hospitality industry and how far you know it's really drained um the business as a whole so you know could you maybe comment on on how it's impacted your team and in in the the hotel group as as a whole sure so obviously um the the big impact right off the bat are the number of uh, of groups that were booked to stay at, and, and I'll just speak specifically about our hotels, but the, those groups that were booked to stay at our hotels that um, really one week after another, you have uh, like a, a shelf that just gets dropped off at multiple events that cancel at the hotels. So um, with the 
current uh, limits on groups getting together, um, sports have obviously taken a huge impact. So almost across the board, uh, all events that were scheduled between the second weekend in March and now through the end of April are all off the books. And um, that, you know, so because sports comprises so much of what we do at Radisson Hotel Group, um, it has a it has a big impact on the hotels, and then just the other you know markets that have dropped off that with with uh, without other uh, events and without other reasons for people to travel uh, has certainly you know taken its toll on a lot of our hotels. Some of them are closed uh, temporarily right now, and um, all you know have plans on reopening as soon as the as soon as the market um, bears that that activity so as a result of that obviously you know huge amounts of revenue lost to the company across the board and that's resulted in uh, a lot of uh, uh, folks uh, unfortunately being furloughed for a temporary amount of time and we have several of our colleagues who um, who are not going to be able to participate in the in our work um, over the next few months so um, it's kind of all hands on deck right now, and those of us who were fortunate enough fortunate enough to not uh, have to be furloughed, we are all taking the responsibility extremely seriously uh, to make sure that we've given uh, our colleagues the best opportunity possible to come back um, when that time comes. So it's been tough. Uh, it's, it's taken a personal toll on a lot of us, and obviously a business toll, but um, fortunately for our team, we're a close, uh, we're a very close group. So we're going to make it through. Absolutely. No. And I know our team feels the same way. It's been, you know, something that nobody could plan for. Uh, it's just a, a unique set of circumstances that no one could really have a plan in place to, to understand these things. So when you say a lot of these hotels have started to close their doors, what are the general range of of closures that you've seen so far are you looking at two weeks for the most part or are you looking four weeks six weeks what what's the general expectation because i think as we well know like travel is often a precursor for a lot of trends within the economy so you know if we can kind of start to to see that i think that's some of the indications that uh we're all trying to wrap our heads around so if, if some of the hotels are starting to see light at the end of the tunnel um do they have timelines on those dates Every, every hotel that um, does decide to, to close um, has to have a prospective opening date tied to that. Uh, so for the most part, it's really tied to the government's dictate on, um, on groups being able to gather. So um, it's kind of like a date gets set and then you reevaluate. So the bulk of the closures right now are through the end of April. Um, there, are, there are exceptions to that. I've seen one hotel that had a, um, and has a date sometime in September. Um, so it, you, know, you don't know what's going on within these markets and what's driving some of these decisions if it's beyond that, that, that end of April kind of uh, deadline that we're under right now but uh, we'll see how that plays out absolutely yeah and i know you're starting to see hear murmurs you know 
uh, Trump never has a murmur, but, um, <laughs> you know, coming from Trump, he's, he's aiming for the beginning of May by the sounds of it. So, you know, that's not a full bore, you know, let's get back traveling. That's a, when can we start to exist again as an economy? So, um, that's, it's interesting and it's, it's always great to get different perspectives when trying to, to figure out those things. Uh, obviously you mentioned, yeah, go ahead, John. Well, Tyler, um, the thing is, it's not, it's not only the, the date that the government says, okay, you can now have groups getting together. Um, what really has to happen is the confidence of the traveling public has to, has to be at a point where they feel um, that, it's t- that they can travel and they can travel safely without the possibility of uh, contracting the virus again. So there, that has to happen at the same time. So I don't think it's going to be an immediate switch that gets flipped, um, and and I think that that whole comp, that whole consumer confidence situation is one that's going to drive the groups that actually do get rebooked, and so we may see um, what we may start seeing are teams playing in events, but not so many spectators in the stands. I think that's a lot of the conversations I've had is that, you know, there'll be players, but you know, you're only open uh, to, you know, immediate coaches, maybe parents, but not additional fans or even parents uh, not being able to come into the venue and maybe they stream it or something like that. So, you know, I think you're right there. There might be some pretty big changes to the way these events, you know, happen, whether it's this year or moving forward altogether. Yeah, absolutely. I tend to agree. I know I've spoken with a lot of event owners over the last couple of weeks and they tend to agree that they're just trying to find some way um, to move ahead. And I think that will be the first step. I think you're also going to see state restrictions uh, as well in terms of travel to start. Like I think May 1 might say, hey, you can move around, uh, but keep your travel limited. June 1 might be, hey, stay in your state. And then July 1 might be, let's get back to normal, right? I, I think there will be some sort of pattern around that it might be further spread it might be shorter who knows uh but i think that's the type of pattern that that i'm expecting moving out of this do you guys tend to agree or do you think there will be something outside of that well no i think that sounds about right and uh, and certainly the the regionality of the whole situation is going to play a role because um you areas like New York, for example, that have a very high level of, uh, of cases right now, I think will be slower to start hosting events, whereas other parts of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the United States and Canada, where there's not as much, um, will maybe see things happen a little bit more quickly. So the whole thing comes back to, again, where are people coming from? If you have these events, that are taking place in different areas um, are the people that are in areas that are more impacted going to be more or less willing to travel as well. So, um, but that whole, that, that timeline that you describe or that staged uh, return sounds like a pretty good plan to me. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I think the reality is you're going to have a bit of case of cabin fever. I know I have it already. Uh, I don't sit still very well. So for me, I'm one of those people that, you know, I understand I need to stay still. But at the same time, I'm chomping at the bit for that opportunity to get out, get the golf clubs out um, and do some things that way. But I, I think ultimately that's where, you know, our governments need to be a little realistic about how long you can keep people locked up. Uh, before they lose their minds, because I think you're starting to see some of it, uh, and it's only going to get worse. 
Well, Tyler, let's not forget about all the parents who are at home with their kids and, you know, have their, they have their cabin fever <laughs> compounded, you know, three or four times, you know, so they're definitely going to, uh, to be ready to get those kids back into these, in, into their sports programs. And, um, you know, back in, uh, 2008, when, you know, we saw the last kind of big hit to this industry, um, many of the, of the youth sports organizations saw their biggest growth spurts after coming out of that time. So I think that a lot of them are looking back at that and seeing, you know, yeah, we had, we had a bit of a pause back then. We're doing the same thing now, but in the long term, we're going to be okay. To build on that, like obviously, you know, I my two kids are at home all day, every day with us and my wife. And I think you're right that, you know, these parents are going to want their kids, you know, back in sports, not just to get them out of the house, but that is a huge part of it. Um, but I think we're starting to see, you know, the effects of not having that schedule or that regular, you know, practice time or interaction with their friends or another, you know, authority figure, a coach or, you know, assistant coaches in their lives. And, you know, it's definitely starting to affect some of the, the kids and families and how they behave and act. And, you know, I've heard, you know, stories, unfortunately, where kids are, you know, super bummed out and just, you know, not really coming out of their room or just not being able to take it very well because they're used to seeing their teammates, two, three, four times a week or whatever that looks like. So, so you, so you guys are having fun over there. That's what I'm hearing. It's a ton of fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Sean, you have a bit of a unique perspective in this. I mean, uh, Jonathan, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Sean's wife owns a cheer uh, gym as well. So uh, they've got a very unique perspective on the whole scenario as well too. So Sean, I don't know how it's affecting that part of the business, but uh, you know, you, you and I have talked a little bit offline about some of the things that are kind of going on. What, what's one of the things that you're looking at, um, you know, for that part of the business uh, goal wise, like what, what is it that you're starting to target as an opportunity through all of this? And I think that's ultimately, you know, some of the internal messaging is where I want to go with this. What, what kind of internal message are you guys having? And then Jonathan, after Sean kind of jumps in, what kind of internal message are you guys powering to kind of come out of this the backside? Yeah, I would say on the, the organizational side is because this is so unknown that we're trying to get unique and look at, um, you know, getting the kids back to something in a possibly, you know, like a unique way. And, you know, a lot of coaches and teams are doing, you know, some of the online virtual training and one-on-one and -on -one type of stuff now. But I think, you know, moving forward, and Jonathan, you touched on this, that we're not you know, we're not sure how parents are going to react when, you know, all of a sudden the government says, okay, you can go back to your venues and sports, but are they going to feel comfortable going into gyms and arenas, you know, weekend after weekend with hundreds of people? So maybe there's, you know, different ways that we need to look at some of these travel competitive sports. And, you know, if it's, uh, you know, more smaller weekend camps or more online offerings than we have before, it's just, it's forcing some of these organizations to, you know, be a little bit more creative and ultimately provide more value to their families or new families in their community. Yeah. From, from our side of things, um, this is actually an, a tremendous opportunity for our hotels to really underscore their ability to lead in the sports market. Um, we have over 300 of our hotels that are, um, 
what we call sports approved. They've gone through, uh, they've gone through a certification program where they know what the ins and outs of the sports market involved and what it takes to be a trusted partner to the, the, the coaches and the event owners that are bringing their teams to our country in the suites hotels, to our Radisson's and Radisson Blue and Radisson Red hotels um, in our park-ins. So they, right now, there's a lot of communication going on with those hotels so that they are prepared to handle the, the, the needs of the groups that have canceled so far and their needs to rebook and being flexible and working with those teams. So um, that's a big part of what we're doing right now is, is making sure that our hotels are there for those teams and to really fulfill that role as a sports approved partner for them. So that's what's going on here. Absolutely. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I think there's two ways to look at this. You can be overly cautious, which, you know, you certainly can't fault anybody for taking that sort of approach or you can be overly aggressive. And I, and I think the danger of these scenarios is falling somewhere between those two things. I think you've got to be true to what your comfort level is, whether you're a hotel or an event owner. Uh, it just has to be who you are as a business and what you're financially capable of doing in that environment, right? I think those are things where I'm seeing event owners having no idea what to do because their cash flow has carried from event to event. And now they've had a stoppage in that cash flow moving forward. So, you know, it's, it's a scenario where I think you're going to see a bit of a cleansing within the industry of event owners that have been financially sustainable um, are going to be the ones that succeed short, over the long haul. Um, my biggest fear out of all of this is you're going to have big business gain traction in an industry where big business isn't always the best influence at the grassroots level. And that's not to say there's not great organizations out there that operate as a big business, but on the flip side of that, the ones that have power should gain more as a result of this. And if it, that power falls into inappropriate methods or, or aggressive models, it could shape the industry in a way in the short term that could be a negative um, for the foreseeable. So that's my biggest fear is that it goes that direction. I'm hopeful that as a group, we can all work around that and continue to provide value first. But is there, is there a piece of this puzzle that you guys see as a, a potential downside coming out of this? Well, I mean, I'll, I actually, let me go, I'd like to speak to the upside as opposed to the downside. Um, I mean, I, th I think there's going to be a lot of shifting around. There's going to be some, there's going to be some significant changes and some consolidation. Um, those companies and those, those uh, tournament uh, owners who have done things the right way and handled their business well are going to survive. And the ones that haven't, are going to either be absorbed or, you know, get together with their competitors and, and form new relationships that will hopefully be to the betterment of, um, uh, of the, of the players that are competing in these events. Um, I think we'll probably see some changes in terms of um, registration fees for teams that are playing in events um, because I think that there's, 
obviously um, a huge impact to the budgets of families right now and their ability to uh, to to participate in events and it has to be affordable. So hopefully that will in turn lead to greater participation and more of an uptick in terms of revenue for for tournaments and and having that money go to really good causes instead. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think um, what I want to see where I would go in the on the upside of this conversation, what I want to see is a reinvestment into the community side of sport. And you touched on the families. It's always been a real core piece of our product. Um, it's always been community first um, through the value that we try to offer uh, across our entire company. But I, I'd like to see that be front and center again, because that's really what youth and amateur sport began as, is a way to develop youth into adults, um, a way to give them a constructive pathway to an education, to a way to give them a pathway to a possible profession. And ultimately, as we've grown as an industry, you've started to see that last one start to be the one that everybody chases. And this could be an opportunity to, you know, reinvest into those first two pieces um, as, as we build up those people into professionals as well. So, you know, that's, I, I'm with you. I think all of what you said, Jonathan, is bang on. Uh, I think it's exactly what needs to happen. And, and hopefully that that stays the same. Sean, have you seen that at the team level? Are you feeling teams are recognizing what needs to be done? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you know, you look at a situation like this where a number of parents, you know, have been laid off or their industries are getting hit as well. And, you know, you touched on some of these bigger, you know, bigger corporate uh, entities who are going to be, you know, maybe controlling or having the majority share of the events in the short term. But I think that's going to create an opportunity for that, uh, the smaller organizations, you know, maybe it's not this year, but maybe next year as they're like, okay, we need to start to make up this 10% of revenue that we saw drop or 20%. Maybe we're going to host our own event because now we see a gap in the market and, you know, we don't want it all to be about scholarships and D ones and getting money and, and all that type of thing. We want to support our community and it's a, a charity event or, or something like that, that you're going to see some more creativity, you know, come out of this and there may be an event uh, that kind of pops up that, you know, that organization didn't have time to, to look at before because they were so busy, but if they take a little bit of a step back, they can start to create some of these events that can have a huge impact on their local community. I was just going to kind of build on what Sean was saying and, and just kind of take that to the next level. And the one, one of the things that, that this virus has, has created is truly a global community of, of, of people who Really, no one can escape this at all. Everyone is impacted by it. And so you can't live in a bubble at all. You have to understand that, you know, your, what you do as a business is going to have ripple effects down the line and has affected you from, a, from the top down as well. So the fact that we're all in this together, I think is going to lead to a, a much more kinder and gentler world if you will at least that's what i hope so that's i, I, I agree that's a good thing well i think a lot of people have had to look in the mirror and i think they've had to put themselves in other people's perspectives and that's i think been certainly a learning curve i've experienced i think a lot of people around travel have have experienced 
and I'm hopeful that most of the world has had to experience at some level, hopefully not through hardship, but just from, you know, the opportunity to see the world from other people's eyes. And I think, you know, one of the cool things is I think you're going to see to Sean's point is some new creative events designed in different, you know, formats. And, and that's what I'm excited for like August, which has traditionally been a bit of a downtick in most sports as school ramps up in the U S uh, could be a really interesting time period for grassroots events as things get pushed back or, um, you know, just different creative ways to generate some, some economic impact are created. So it'll be curious to see what August looks like. That's the one month that I'm excited for because I think it, it provides a really unique window between getting back to school and just getting back to, to real life. I think it's going to be an exciting time. Um, we're also expecting a child. So it'll be, I'm really punching for August to be a really big month. Um, that's kind of what we're looking forward to. So um, that's a big part of, of the next step. So with all that said, when we talk about planning, have we started to see any creative uh, ideas, Jonathan, have you seen anything outside of the box that, you know, before, you know, January of 2020 wasn't even really on the radar, anything that's kind of stood out to you? From a, from a creative outside the box standpoint, um, you know, I, I can't really say that I've seen anything like that, that I can kind of point to. However, what I'm, what I, try to suggest for the groups that are able to to reschedule that do have a window of opportunity to to reschedule and and still have their events take place um i am encouraging them to not waste any time in terms of reaching out to their hotel partners uh, they they need people you know the, the people that are running these events there's going to be a mad rush for dates as soon as this thing opens up again. And my suggestion is get, you know, get your dates now um, because you're already going up against all the other sports that have, you know, from a seasonal standpoint that have their dates on hotel calendars. So now's the time to find those open spots that are still there to get your event back on the books. And if it turns out that you can't, hold the date, uh, hold the event on the date that you rebooked and you cross that bridge when you come to it, like we're doing it now. Um, most hotels are going to be very um, flexible in, as we move through these next few months in terms of working with their groups that are a, a big part of their loyalty base. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The one thing I've also kind of said to a lot of our partners is, listen, uh, the hotels as a whole uh, took a huge bath right? In terms of letting people off the cancellation policies and everything that, that was around group travel. And it's the right thing to do to try to repay that favor by getting your stuff booked quickly and pushing hard back into the travel segment, right? So it's something we've talked with a lot of our partners about. They feel awful that they've had to cancel it, right? I mean, they feel awful for, for their partners. They feel awful for their own business, and so, you know, try to spin the positive community relationship. It's a big piece of the puzzle. We're all in it together. And, and I'm really hopeful that, that that's kind of the way the conversation progresses. And, you know, I kind of alluded to it earlier. My biggest fear is just, you know, volume 
plays being the most important piece when really we should focus on the community re-engagement and the ability to work together at scale um, as, as a group. So that's, that's kind of where I'm seeing things. Are you starting to um, see people try to re-navigate multi-year deals again? Is that part of this with, with some relative downtime? Are you starting to see multi-year partnerships coming back into play kind of similar to what we've seen in the past? I haven't seen a lot of multi-year um, requests coming through lately. Um, right now, it's more of one-off rebooks of events that were canceled or um, things that are booking into late 2020 and then into 2021. Um, but as far as multi-year deals, I'm not seeing that um, as much right now. Of course, you know the NCAA is just starting their uh, four-year sourcing cycle. Uh, so we're starting to see those opportunities come through um, from the NCAA, and those are definitely multi-year deals. But those are, I think, happening a little bit slower than they would have uh, happened had we not been in this, uh, in this COVID situation right now. Well, and the scale of their championships are a little bit different than the, the, the traditional grassroots, but definitely um, exciting from, from the, the travel side of things because it is big business. Uh, Sean, is there anything that you're seeing on the collegiate side of things that, you know, pattern-wise, I know from, from the top down, it looks like everything's kind of slowly getting back to normal as we ramp up into the next calendar year for the schools. Um, you know, I expect it to be relatively business as usual. You're going to have some state restrictions uh, at the, some of the state schools that are going to be just budget approval. Uh, I mean, generally there may one, but is there any other indications within that space that you guys have seen so far that is outside of the norm? No, no nothing outside of the normal you know, the coaches and the, the athletic programs, they're proceeding with, you know, fall and, you know, winter, even into uh, spring of next year sports. And it's really going to be kind of take it as it comes, right? We're, we're assuming and, and hoping that everything's going to go back. Um, the one conversation piece that we're having is, you know, a lot of the coaches are still, you know, loyal to those hotels that they've stayed at before, or maybe even had to cancel in, in the spring here. So, you know, we, Jonathan, I know you talked, talked about that a little earlier and you know well they want to book at those same hotels especially if they had to cancel because you know you know whether it's with us or the team on their own they've created great relationships with the hotels and you know have been there year after year and they would like to come back right and it's just you know looking at the schedules we're booking and starting to source now and you know we're all uh, crossing our fingers that by the end of the summer here fall that uh, things will be back to something relatively normal well and i can't imagine that inside the brands that the marketing teams have not been having nightmares for the last couple of weeks but i'm sure are looking forward to the next year of telling the positive stories of of getting back to normal and getting some of that so jonathan is there is there starting to be an internal message about um that rebirth or or the growth i know you mentioned um the sports approved program in in trying to just establish um, how strong you guys are in that market, but are you starting to see any other internal messaging that's being pushed out to the community saying, Hey guys, we're here for you. What's that feel like? And, and is there anything that our event owners can do to be a part of that? Our message is, is certainly we're here when you're ready. So um, we've already started that, that 
kind of communication uh, pushing out there to our customers and letting them know that when when they are ready, when the world is ready, we are certainly ready to welcome them back with with open arms. Uh, really, now more than ever. So um, that's that's one thing that we really you know, and and it's obvious. I mean, that, that's that's not something that's necessarily unique to Radisson Hotel Group because everyone in the in the hospitality industry, you know, again, we are all in this together, um, and so. It's just a matter of kind of all working together now and uh, and finding ways to do what's best for our mutual customers. And one thing that I kind of think of that's more specific uh, to the sports industry is kind of something that kind of, that came out of the last uh, turndown. Again, going back to 2008, was the the uh, birth of uh, the state of play policy and the use of rebates in um, in booking hotels at a time when uh, the tournament operators and the uh, and the housing organizations really had a, a big upper hand and and I'm wondering if uh, you know I'm wondering if rebates and uh, and state of play how uh, how well those types of factors are going, are going to survive going forward so we may see a change there possibly yeah, I, I think it'll be, again, we alluded to it earlier, the people that are doing business right and not, you know, mandating higher leverage rates or opportunities. Uh, I think it really will be a trade-off of value. And and I think that's where it, it always needed to be. I, I, I've always said this, I would just like to see some limitations to some of those value trade-offs. Um, doesn't mean they can't be profitable for the groups involved, but I think um, I think what I'm I'm interested to see is if we find a ceiling uh, to what that value is worth through all of this to both the team, the event, and the hotel operators. So I think it'll be interesting uh, to your point as as we progress through it. Yeah, I think relationships right now are what it's all about, and um, working together with your trusted partners it has so much value right now. So. The people that you know you work well with, that you know appreciate your business, and uh, that you know will take care of your customers, are going to be the winners uh, in this whole in this whole situation. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And that's that's a wonderful spot, I think, for us to leave it today, Jonathan. I really, really appreciate you coming on again. Um, you're always welcome, as you know. Um, I'm sure we can probably make a regular habit of, of hosting you, especially as we have some free time in the coming weeks <laughs> and months. So um, I, I want to just thank you again from our team. Um, you know, good luck in the next couple of weeks as we all try to traverse these these interesting times. Um, and and feel free to find Jonathan on the internet. I know um, you've you've made comment in the past. Where can they follow you online if they want to stay up to date? What's happening at Radisson? Yeah, so my uh, Twitter feed is um, Sports Approved. So it's at Sports Approved on Twitter. And, um, like and then uh, we're also out there on, uh, on Facebook uh, for uh, under Radisson Hotel Group. You can find us. But uh, really, Twitter is probably uh, the best place right now, which is at Sports Approved. Yeah, Sean and I love Twitter for sports. It's a great community. And if you're, if you're a sports mind and you're not on Twitter still, I know it's not the cool social media, 
but when it comes to sports, it's definitely the most informed. And, you know, if, if you're, if you're not into sports and politics, maybe it's not your place, but those, <laughs> those two markets are definitely hot and heavy on Twitter. So head over there, follow Jonathan at sports brew. Um, and again, thank you, Jonathan, for joining us today. It's been another episode here on tournament talk and we'll see you next time.